go. Uh-huh. Yeah, yo. Hey, welcome to Bulls Gold here on Nothing But Net Radio, part of Dash Radio, also of 1252 Sports Entertainment. I'm Edward Schuler, as always, joined by Salim Sudawala. Salim, how's it going, man? It's going great. I just enjoying my weekend and um, enjoying the playoffs. So I think before we start recording, we're talking about last night's game. It was rather uh, sluggish. <laughs> I guess that's a good word for last night's game. I, you know, people, as I call, like I was saying, some people mentioned defense and stuff like that, but it's like, I don't know if it was much as defense as, as opposed to guys are just tired and they were just playing crappy basketball. I, that's what it seems like. I would just say, like, all right, this game needs to be over with, like right now, just get it over with. <laughs> I just felt like, and I, I, actually it was funny to a point. I just stopped paying attention. I was, I started doing other things on the side and I was looking at the score, just kind of seeing what's going on because not a lot of exciting stuff was, I felt like not a lot of exciting stuff was happening in the game. Uh, but yeah, outside of that, I'm well, and I'm, I'm looking forward to our conversation we're going to have today about our beloved. Yeah. I'm looking forward to this conversation. As you mentioned, uh, last night's game was interesting. Uh, it's not, one of the better games, but still kind of surreal that Phoenix is a game away from going to the NBA Finals. I mean, the trajectory that they've had has been absolutely crazy. But we had other news this week with the uh, draft lottery and the Bulls not getting into the top four. So they, uh, Orlando, will be picking at eight with the draft pick that the Bulls sent in the deal for Nikola Vucevic. So we're going to talk about that. We're also going to get into a lot of all-season talk, and we're going to get into some talk about Ben Simmons that I think will be really interesting. So uh, joining us on Bulls Gold, uh, returning again, uh, definitely one of our favorite people that we love to talk to. We've been talking to this guy for a long time. But joining us here on Bulls Gold uh, he is the co-host of the NBA pod with Brian Tapork. He also covers the NBA for Forbes. Morton Jensen, Mort, thank you so much for joining us, man. Thank you so much for having me on. I, I always enjoy coming on here. Yeah, man, it's, it's a blast having you on, Mort. Uh, you've gotten even more and more success. It's really cool to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're verified now on Twitter. You're, you're, <laughs> yeah. like, a, you're like a big shot now, yeah, man. Yeah, big time, man. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, man, we got Mort on now, man. We got, <laughs> we're going to get some good info from Mort now when we get him out. He's like, he's so he's in it now. He's, he's like Mr. NBA now. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that was that was probably the highlight of, of my Twitter uh, career was getting verified. I, look, honestly, it is so weird. Like, I have not changed my opinions on anything but now suddenly just because of that damn badge i'm getting so much more engagement it is it is <laughs> truly weird like that is just it's the biggest grift there is on it's like before I'm you're verified scared. like someone says something you're like i don't know if i agree with that more but then you're verified they're like oh man i 100 percent agree with that yeah honestly, I'm, not, I'm not even kidding like that has happened like that has happened so there's a dude who like routinely disagrees with me on every issue I, he almost always tweets at me when he disagrees with my with my stuff he never tweets at me if he agrees and then suddenly right after getting verified he was like 
you know what, Mort? That's a really good point. I was like, what? What is going on? What is happening right now? That's awesome. But yeah, no, it's, it's it's nice to see you continue finding success. And yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, you guys, well deserved, you guys are growing as well. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think maybe maybe like 10 more people have found us and said, hey, these guys, <laughs> these guys aren't complete idiots. Hey, shout out to those 10 more people, man. We we always appreciate it, man. We no, we do. You, you guys, I, I appreciate you joining us and, and listening to us, the 10 people that have uh, decided to jump on. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So let, let, let's get right into it. Uh, Tuesday was the NBA draft lottery and uh, of course, there were a lot of prayer circles on Twitter for the Bulls to get into the uh, top four. That didn't happen. So Orlando was picking at eight and the top four ended up going Detroit, Houston, Cleveland, Toronto. So I feel like this time around, compared to previous draft lotteries, I feel like there wasn't really a big expectation that the Bulls might even get into the top four. But I mean, everyone's always going to uh, hope for otherwise. But more, what did you think about the Bulls? not getting into the top four big deal or no deal in terms of impacting their offseason? Oh, huge deal. Absolutely. I mean, look, these guys at the top four, you know, Kate Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs, Jalen Green as well. uh, And hell, I'm even going to throw my guy in Alperin Sanquin in there as well. Hmm. These are huge players. These are huge names. If the Bulls were to get one of those guys, it would uh, almost overnight change the current trajectory because it it would just give you so many options. You could choose to trade it. Obviously, if you landed in the top two, I wouldn't even consider that but for you could trade it for it for an all-star an established all-star and then you would have you know sack booch and a third all-star on the roster which could really ex- accelerate everything or by getting you know a, a top pick you would have had every chance to maybe pivot into a different direction if you wanted to do that it's just you would have gotten so much more flexibility or gotten such a tremendous talent injection so for that not to happen of course was uh mm problematic for Chicago, but they knew that going in. I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that. They knew going in that there was like an 80% chance uh, or risk rather of them not moving up. So I think they came in with realistic expectations. But sure, you know, moving up would have been tremendous for them. No yeah, doubt. Absolutely. And so let me add this too, because uh, landing at eight was the highest the Bulls could go outside of getting into the top four. So I guess this ended up being the worst case scenario in terms of conveying the pick. So to you, if you knew what you knew now, Mm. would you still have made the Nikola Vucevic trade? Because I feel like that's one thing that's always been discussed, you know, is the, is how that pick would convey. And while me personally, I'm not sure about the players that are available, eight to 12 that would really, uh, change my mind about the deal, but I also look at it as if we were entering this offseason right now, and let's say we had pick six or seven, mm-hmm. I feel like Nikola Vucevic on a two-year deal in the offseason would be a really, really desirable trade target for a lot of teams. So there, there's so many different ways you can look at it, but overall, yep. what is your opinion of the deal now that we know what we know now? 
you know, it, 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 of course, it's uh, it's unfortunate that, that the pick ended up being that high, but it's not something that's going to change my overall perception of the deal, uh, at least not yet. We'll see what happens with the 2023 pick. However, that mm. is the one that I'm a little bit worried about because if the Bulls don't make significant uh, traction or if they don't get traction over the next couple of years, that too could be a very high pick. And if you end up having to give up Wendell Carter, who was drafted seventh overall, you gave up the number over eight overall pick, and then maybe an additional lottery pick in 2023, then I think it's fair to say that that might have been an overpay. But so far right now, we need to look at it in a in a much broader light because it's more than just the acquisition of Nikola Vucevic. This is also an attempt to convince Zach Levine to stay, stick around. And I would, I would like to compare that to the Milwaukee situation because they traded for Drew Holiday. They gave up a ton to get mm-hmm. him in there, but what they really paid for was not solely Drew Holiday. It was also that signature for Giannis Antetokounmpo, basically saying, we are serious. You Do you want to sign the Supermax? Here's our proof that you can do, the, do so because we have given you weapons now. And so he signed the Supermax on off the merits of the Drew Holiday trade. So this is what Chicago is really doing. They're trying to send a signal to Zach Levine. They're trying to get better. So if this means that this deal that happened in March is ultimately going to convince Zach to stay, then it's a slam dunk, however you cut it and whatever you end up giving up. Mm-hmm. And also, I will say, I did like the pick protections. I mean, let's be honest here. This this has been protected very well, very well, both of them. So it's top four protected this year. Obviously, that didn't come to fruition. Uh, and then next year, if it if the Bulls kept it, it would have been top three protected. And then it would have uh, become two second rounders instead. And that's the same with the 2023 pick. That type of... Uh, Pick protection is elite. That was tremendous, mm. tremendous job from both AK and Mark Eversley to think forward and understanding that, no, and at no point are we willing to give up the number one pick, for example, for Nikola Vucevic. At no point. I like that. I think that was creative. So I don't have a big issue with it yet. But next year is going to answer so many of those questions, Edward, because that is the real test, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I for for me, I I think I still do the trade. I'm I'm still confident in that. I was like, yeah, I think I, that's a trade that I still like. Um, it's what I find interesting still though is like the Bulls are still talking to players in that lottery area, uh, interviewing guys, and in general, interviewing first round prospects. So that's what I find interesting. Would you Would you be surprised at all if? Uh, one way or another, AK found a way to trade back into this first round. Yeah, I, I would be. So what the Bulls are doing, they are basically getting intel uh, off of guys for the future reference. It, this You have to remember, the NBA uh, is about information. That is how teams operate. They want to get to know everyone, not necessarily for the now, but also down the line. So if one of those guys in five years become available, you can also go back to the, you know, the interview or whatever you saw out of them initially and having an understanding of, okay, we remember being... Uh, positive about this player because he said X, Y, and C, or he showcased X, Y, and C. So we understand coming into this situation, sort of what makes him tick. So again, this is this is data. This is information gathering. I, I would be very surprised to see them try to move up 
in the first round or, well, they don't have a first round pick, but move, trade into the first round simply because they have Sack and Vooch, which is a win now team. Uh, I, I, in fact, I would be far more inclined to believe that they would be trading Patrick Williams or Kobe White or hell, maybe even both for some third in prime player who could function as maybe a third all-star. I think that is way more likely than them pivoting in, in the other direction. Although I will say this, if they get a chance to get someone who they like, who might be slipping down a significant, um, you know, significant numbers in, in on the draft board, like maybe they there's a guy they think is a lottery talent and he slips down to like the late twenties or early twenties, then I could see it. But then it also depends on just how much you like a certain guy. You, you mentioned. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Now, just thinking like. I still think that there's odds that they trade Kobe at some point, but I guess it becomes a little harder now with his injury. Mm. Yeah. So he is, he is a controllable contract too. So it's not like a team would be taking a risk of him hitting. Um, I don't think what ones is restricted free agency is what two years from now. Yeah. Yeah. He's got two years left on. His so, contract. yeah. So you, you have, you have time if you do, or if you're a team that were, was looking to trade for him. Um, and if you could get like, you know, I don't think you can probably get a lottery pick for Kobe at this point, but probably still get a decent, like mid first in the maybe 15, 16 range. Um, and like I said, if, if, if AKC is a guy that he really likes is going, man, I really like, I was a, I'm high on this guy. That's the only thing I can probably see happening. Maybe. Yeah, would you trade? That, that Kobe? would be interesting. Would you trade Kobe for a mid first? Depends on who's available. Um, so my personal favorite out there, who I think could be slept on, is Turkish uh, center Alperin Sengun. If he slides down the mock drafts or the actual draft rather, and the Bulls have a chance to get him in like the late lottery or just outside the lottery for Kobe. I would probably do that. I would try to see if I wouldn't have to give up Kobe. Maybe mm-hmm. there's a deal to be found there with Troy Brown Jr. and the rights to Marco Simonovic instead or something along those lines. But if he's available, if he's sliding down, I would definitely want the Bulls to get involved because he is, in my opinion, a can't-miss project. I, I think he a prospect. I think people are sleeping on him. I think the fact that he's not American is like any other uh, international prospect. It's, <laughs> it's working not in his favor. He is outstanding. People are questioning his shooting and his defense. And for some reason, that skepticism has completely overshadowed that he might actually be the best passing big in the entire draft and mm-hmm. not even close. Actually, I'm not saying he's going to be Jokic. Don't worry. <laughs> but I am saying there's certainly a Domanza Sabonis uh, potential in him. So if you can find someone like him uh, in like the 15 to 16, 17 pick area and the team demands that it's Kobe white, you know, I'd probably pull the trigger. Uh, even though it's it's a significant cost, yes. I'm I'm reading. I'm going to read you the 15 through 20 that Tankathon has right now. So they have Josh yeah. Giddy, James Wootnight, Uzman Garuba, Jared Butler, Zaire Williams, Jaden Springer. Wootnight, wow, that's interesting. That seems super low. Yeah, it is. It I is mean, not too low. I'm, I'm I'm not that I'm a big draft guy, but I, from all the people that I trust in draft Twitter, they have Wootnight as a top 10. Yeah, guy. Some I've seen 
sneaking him into the top five. Yeah. Like so 16 yeah. is definitely way too low. And I would also argue that Jaden Springer is not going to go in the 20s. I think he's going to go significantly higher as well. That's an interesting list. So bring like continue on the topic of Kobe. So his injury definitely I, I feel like it doesn't change the offseason, but it definitely puts even more of a magnifying glass on uh, what you're trying to do at the point guard situation to upgrade that because you right. probably are not even going to have him to start the season at the absolute worst case scenario. So how do you like the Bulls right now are I think their best their best approach to the offseason is to operate above the cap, right? Because if you go under the cap, you have to get rid of so many people and it's not even going to o- open up that much room. So staying above the cap is at least going to give you a higher floor, I think, to trade players in a sign and trade or to at least fall back on these players if nothing works out. So saying that, how do you approach the offseason trying to get a point guard? We've talked about uh Lonzo Ball, we've talked about Kyle Lowry, there may be some guys in the trade market who can be acquired, but the Bulls are low on resources after moving these draft picks for Nikola Vucevic, so right. they don't really have a ton of ammo. So how do you approach the offseason right now? So I'm actually not too worried about uh, staying over the cap, even though I completely agree with you that there are certain things that opens up, for example, the non-tax MLE opens mm-hmm. up. But I also think that the, the Bulls need to have an open mind. So let's say Zach Levine and his agent are like, you know what? We're open to a renegotiate and extend option, which you can't do. Then you need to, to somehow secure about $14 million in cap space. And then Zach Levine's contract for next year is basically ripped up. He'll sign a new contract. He won't be on the $19.5 million. He'll be on a max contract starting uh, from August and onwards. And then you have him locked up for a significant period of time. Mm-hmm. If that option is on the table, uh, if I'm the Bulls, I would have no trouble going below the cap because I'm looking at that and going, that should be my number one priority. And in terms of your question uh, with the point guard situation, you know, I don't necessarily think it, we that the Bulls should look at it as solely like a point guard. I think they should just look at playmaker. Whether what that means a small forward or an off guard, whatever, like interchangeable guards. There, there are so many variables nowadays where you can find guys who can pass from virtually every single position on the floor. But the, the here's the big thing for me: the point guard market has diminished in recent years. Like the good point guards are locked up; they are untouchable because there simply isn't. Uh, a whole lot left like that were 10 years ago. Remember 10 years ago, it was arguably mm-hmm. the deepest position in the league. I would argue now that quality point guards, that has become a, a premium now. Like you, those guys are just not available to the ex- same extent. That means it's more difficult to trade for them. It's more difficult to get them in drafts. It's more difficult just to generally acquire someone. So you just need to find playmaking. Um, does that mean that you may have a chance to trade up for someone in the draft? Okay. If you like that player's upside, if you like the playmaking, go for it. Does it mean you have to overpay for someone in free agency? Maybe that's the play. And then in that case, you would need to get under the cap regardless, or you would have to make a trade. So there's so many avenues that can be played here. My biggest question, I'm actually going to you know, ask you back a little bit here. So let's take a guy like Lonzo Ball. 
who is clearly a young point guard. Everyone seems to be interested in him. He can pass. He, he solves many of Chicago's issues in that endeavor. But with the Knicks out there also looking for a point guard, and they have basically infinity cap space right now. It's it's about 50 to 60 million that they'll have open. They can offer him almost close to a max. Would you rather go that route at overpaying Valonso now, hoping that he lives up to that contract, or would you rather have someone else making the mistake of overpaying for him on a four-year contract, knowing full well that's going to diminish that other team's cap flexibility in the future? Me personally, I'm leaning to the latter, but I want to hear you. Yeah, I agree with you because I think the trade deadline gave us a peek into what the Pelicans were thinking when they were trying to or they were looking at moving Lonzo. And the rumor was that Chicago was offering Lowry marketing, but New Orleans also wanted more on top of that. And of course, right. rumors were that they wanted a first round pick, too. So the Bulls don't have. Well, they could, but it's going to be far out. But. I mean, do you really want to offer a first round pick and then overpay Lonzo Ball on top of it? And to me, I would not because I just feel like you're locking yourself into that. Granted, I feel like Lonzo Ball can get better, but I'm just not sure that I want to give up asset and overpay to do that. And I would probably look at hedging my bet on a short deal that at least gives me flexibility to come back to the table in free agency rather than just completely locking myself in. Right. Yeah, same for me. Like, I have a, a number in mind that I feel comfortable paying a uh, ball. It's like the 18, 20 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, 20 million, I, I'd be comfortable just because, like, like, he has gotten better since his rookie year. So I feel like, okay, maybe he can still improve his half-court game, um, still improve as far as <laughs> – I don't know how much much improvement as far as his free throw rate and all that stuff is concerned, but maybe you still see some gradual improvement overall. But yeah, paying him max or even like twenty two, twenty five million, would uh, I would right. I would definitely kind of like that twenty to twenty five million. I would kind of shudder and be like, okay, well, let's see what happens now because this is a lot of money for for a guy that. Um, who I like, I really do like, but he is a very, uh, he is a, he is a flawed player in a sense as well. And when you're, when you're signing a player that doesn't necessarily do anything elite, doesn't have necessarily have an elite skill set. Like he's a good defender. He's a, he's a good, probably full court point guard. Um, he's a solid three point shooter as like a spot up guy. But like I said, you know, there he doesn't really have a lead skill set. And when you pay that much money to a player who doesn't have an elite skill set, uh, even as just like one elite, you know, skill set, like I'm trying like let's say he he was this this really good masterful half court point guard, then yeah, you you feel fine with that. But because he doesn't have that ability, the, any any type of skill set that he can really, you know, hold his hang his hat on in that regards that's when you kind of feel like, Oh, that man, that's a lot of money. Yeah. I think, I think it's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what Lonzo gets. And I would not be shocked at all if he gets around 23, 24, 25, because I mean, you just look at 25 is definitely reasonable because the Knicks have that money. Yeah. No, exactly. And because he's, I mean, like Salim said, he's a, he's a good defender. His shooting percentages have increased season by season. His shot, (laughs) mechanics have improved significantly and he's still what just 20 
three years old. Yeah, so by the end of this contract, he'll be like 28. So he'll be in position to get another deal. Uh, may not be the number that he gets now, but uh, the upside is there. It's just for a team like the Knicks, it makes sense because it's just like, okay, well, we're just giving up cap space. But for a team that's over a cap and you know doesn't have that, they're like, okay, we have to give up assets and overpay him. It's like, eh, do we really want to do that? Right. The, the biggest thing for me, what this boils down to is when it comes to free agency, that's where you can drastically improve because you don't have to give up assets. Mm-hmm. You don't have to trade for guys. That's when you just add talent to the roster by paying for it. The only thing you give up is money that you have to spend anyway. So for me, when people say work or over the cap and, and all of these things, I get it. But if you really want to improve, free agency is the way to go. But at the same time, free agency can also be fool's gold. You can sit there with theoretically as much cap space as humanly possible and seem, or sorry, players can just go, nah, not interested. I can go somewhere else. I want to go to New York. I want to go to Los Angeles. I want to go to Memphis or something. <laughs> like you can be passed by, in which case you're sitting there with a lot of cap space and nothing to show for it. So, so there is risk regardless of how we, we flip this. It's just not, uh, there's no sure thing in this business. So you can go under the cap, you can try to work over the cap, but if you work over the cap, you're kind of forced to, to trade or find someone with the non-tax MLE. But let's be honest, the non-tax MLE is probably not going to fetch you a starting caliber point guard in today's NBA or a starting caliber primary playmaker. That's just, they're far too valuable. To, to sign such a deal. So what are you dealt what are you left with? What are your options? Okay, if you trade, you're giving up a lot of assets. So you're coming out of this maybe a little bit better, but you've still sacrificed in other areas. Well if you can't pay for someone in the open market, then what do you do then? And then you're you're kind of stuck. So for me, it comes down to do you want to identify someone in the draft who you think ultimately speaking can develop into being that guy for you down the line. And maybe you sacrifice very little to get it. So let's take a Sharif Cooper, for example, out of Auburn, who's projected to be somewhere along the lines of late lottery to the twenties, right? Mm. Is that a guy you want to basically say, you know what? That's our future. We believe in him. We are making a concerted effort in, in trading for him because we know that he's cost controlled over four years. He'll, he'll be able to build alongside uh, Patrick Williams and all of that. Sure. That would be great. You would have your point guard, you would have a young core, but then there's the flip side here. Saklavi, Nikola Vucevic, they're in prime players. Does that work? So as you can see, all the rambling I just did is basically present an image of a franchise right now that is trying to be in two camps at once. They're trying to be young. They're trying to be present. And as we saw with the Boston Celtics, that doesn't work. I still support the Vooch trade. But I do think they now accelerate their rebuild to a point where they have a lot of question marks just in terms of how they can upgrade from here. And whether they try the draft, whether they try a free agency, that remains to be seen. But it's going to be difficult. I was just saying, so speaking of upgrading, I know there's been a lot of conversations on who the Bulls could target, different players. And obviously, Ben Simmons was a guy that really came about as if he was available, the Bulls should definitely go try to get him. Obviously, the, the the tough part becomes is realistically, the Bulls don't really have anything. To, I mean, they do. They would want Zach Levine, but that's off 
out of the question because yeah. it makes little sense for the Bulls to trade Zach Levine for Ben Simmons um, because that doesn't really it, it becomes kind of the same um, structural issue for him here as it was in Philadelphia where he's kind of relying to be the only real ball handler and not a lot of uh, gravity around him to uh, right. offset his weaknesses. But but like I said, if there was a situation where you can trade him for like Kobe, Pat, um, other, maybe a draft pick or two down the line, is that something you think you would do want to see happen with having him then paired him with Vucevic and uh, Zach Levine? It's, it's definitely intriguing. I'm not going to say that it's not. I just don't think it's feasible because the Sixers are going to be looking at guys like you just said, Zach Levine, maybe a Malcolm Brockton, players of that ilk who can come in and be floor spacers, someone who can come in and be secondary creators of that sort. So they're not looking to get younger. Joel Embiid right now is 27 years old, and given his size and his injury history, it stands to reason that he is not going to be fully healthy in three years or four years. When he gets into his 30s, it might look a little bit bleak. Hmm. So for all intents and purposes, the Philadelphia 76ers need to go for the ring now, like right now. Next season is going to be one of those, we have to win it. It is crucial that we win it. And you're just not going to do that if you trade for Pat Williams or Kobe White. Like, sure, you can try to reroute those players, but who out there is in a situation where they have a in-prime player who is a star who you can get for, for those two guys and maybe like Tyrese Maxey and Matisse Thibel? Who out there is on that market? I don't think there is anyone. Yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to think about who who they could really target to. Um, I mean, I kind of like maybe not not necessarily trading your um, you know, your your guard one well like the whole what's that saying? The one man one man's garbage is another man's treasure right. type mm-hmm. of situation. Yeah. Um and not to say Ben Simmons is garbage. I, I think he's sort of he's a damn good player and I think the the discourse around him has kind of become dumb. <laughs> They're just kind of too much in the moment conversation, but it kind of becomes a situation where you're trading, like I say, with the Blazers, for example, okay, let's trade McCollum for Ben Simmons and how much that's very much a, you know, a very rash move that you make where it's like, Hey, we're, we're trying to compete with Embiid. So getting McCollum, certainly he's a better fit there, but how much, better does that make you as a team i think drastically to be honest with you but but i hear what you're saying and that's one of those situations that's going to be so tough to gauge because teams are all over the place just how they value ben simmons remember this there are 30 teams in the nba that means there are 30 gms 30 team presidents 30 assistant general managers if not more because you can have more than one assistant general manager so there are going to be so many different opinions on what ben simmons is you know it, it is very common for it seems to have different perspectives and different perceptions of certain guys. So one team might look at Ben Simmons and immediately go, you know what? No, thank you. We're simply not interested, regardless of what the package is, because we think he is overrated. We think the contract that he's attached to is dreadful. We are just not interested whatsoever. And then there might be other teams who are, you know, just itching to get into the conversation because they think they can fix him. They think they can do so many things with him. And, 
the the truth of the matter is it's probably somewhere in the middle, but we just don't know. And and there isn't what this uniform you know uh, understanding of what his trade value is. So that's going to be extremely interesting to follow. I don't think the Bulls will get in there for one other reason. He's not a an a Taurus Carnage show as player. Uh, so AK likes guys who can dribble and facilitate and shoot. And that is very that's a very European mindset. Um, but that is like the, the fact of the matter. And you know what? He's not wrong. Look at the, the premier guys in today's NBA. It is players who can create their own shots, who can pass, and who can shoot. These are undoubtedly some of the most influential players in the entire NBA. So I don't even think that the Bulls are realistically interested. And I definitely think they hang up the phone if the conversation starts with Sackleby. So I'll preface this by saying that Ben Simmons is obviously a really good player. But to me, the concern for the Bulls and any other team who looks at getting him is not only the contract, as you mentioned, which is what, like 4140, something like that. Uh, four years, one hundred forty-seven million. Yeah, so uh, that's a lot of money, and yeah. <laughs> I, I think he's going to. <laughs> I, I, I think he improves teams, at least in the regular season for sure. If you get Ben Simmons, you could be a team that wins forty-eight, fifty-something games. Fans will get yeah. into it. People will get excited. My thing with Ben Simmons is that his flaw is so almost effortlessly exploitable in the postseason. That I just don't see the good that it really brings with him overall because it's just like the fact that he has to have the ball in his hands and he will not shoot. I, I just don't know what you do with that. You can get yeah. him off the like you can get him off the floor easily. You can sag off him easily. There were a ton of possessions where Embiid was posting up and Ben Simmons just goes into the paint. And they can just double Embiid easily. It's just, it's nothing. Like, he's, it's just such a really, really bad combination. I know some people are saying, hey, you know, he's 25. He can still improve. You know, players like Rondo improve. But I I don't remember, I cannot think of a player in recent times who just flat out refused to shoot. Even Rondo would still shoot if you left him open. Ben Simmons will not shoot. And... The thing that also gives me uh, a skepticism about that is the Fox Sports article that uh, Yaron uh, Weitzman, I sorry if I mispronounce his name, but he has a really good article about yep. Ben Simmons and his time in Philadelphia. And I believe it was one of the uh, uh, Sixers coaches who asked, what has Ben Simmons improved on? He's largely the same player. And it just feels like there's a lot of different things going on with you know, who he surrounds himself with, like he's a lot of uh, family, a lot of people who aren't really going to challenge him. And yeah, it's just it it does not sound like it's a he needs a change of scenery type of thing. It sounds like a look in the mirror type of thing. And for a player who has not done that since being in high school, because I, I remember watching him in college, uh, not like I was scouting, but going to a college game where he was playing my uh, school and he had significantly less talented players guarding him and would not shoot. Would not shoot. Even if they said would not shoot. It's the same thing we see in the NBA. So just as a Bulls fan, like I would not be interested in Simmons because I know the cost would be high. And I just don't see I, I don't like the ceiling that he gives you. Right. 
Ben would have been great in the 80s and 90s. Mm. I, I'm not saying he's not a good player now. He's an all-star, and he's one of the best defensive players in the entire league. In the 80s, he would have been an MVP. Yeah. Like we're talking about that that type of 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 uh, accolades for him because he just plays a, a brand of basketball that isn't really keyed in on the necessity of spacing. Not to, to diminish Ben into the whole oh he doesn't shoot threes. I think it's it goes far deeper than that. Honestly, I don't even care about the three as much. It's just that he doesn't even drive when he has a mismatch. Yeah, like he doesn't even get into the box when he has a mis- mismatch. You, you could you could see so many times during the playoffs he had a guy on him where he could just take him like he could absolutely just initiate a dribble drive, get to the basket and finish with a layup. Uh, and he just wouldn't do it. He was just standing still and, and move the ball to Tobias or Joe or Seth or whatever. And, and that passive nature, I just also don't think would mesh with sack. I think if the bulls traded for Ben Simmons, sack Levine would lose his utter mind by game 30. Uh, just by not having guys alongside him who are who aren't aggressive. I mean, we're already seeing that uh, this year. We or we saw mm-hmm. that before the season ended for the Bulls. That that sack now, like when guys aren't taking open shots, he would get on them. Like he would really like, what are you doing? It's right there. He's becoming way more uh, of a leader, way more also frustrated <laughs> on his own right, which is fair. <laughs> right. But like he's he's basically saying, you know what? You need to do these things. You need to shoot. You need to be aggressive. Keep that mindset up. That's why he was also on occasion like a little bit after pat will like you would go up to him and go take that drive it's right there take the three you were wide open like he wants guys to shoot so he and ben simmons i could see clash a lot if that trade was happened were was made so i i am i am personally not in it if i'm the bulls for ben simmons whatsoever yeah i i think it's also it's not necessary ability it's a it's a mental hurdle he needs to get her because when he came into the league he would attack the basket he would yes. take that mismatch it's now it's become to a point where he's scared that oh if i'll get fouled and have to go to the free throw line and that's that's the ability that's the mental gap that he needs to kind of get over obviously that's you know that's it's a tough you know area to get into and it's 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 not it's it's easier said than done but i think that's really what's holding him back is just that mental gap and i agree with that. i don't think he needs to become a three-point shooter um he doesn't need to be like this guy that's all of a sudden just has this really nice jump shot it's just about not being afraid to have the ball in the fourth quarter that late in games because you're scared that you're going to be sent to the free throw line that's yeah. that's really what it comes down to is just that getting over that mental hurdle and and maybe a change of scenery helps him do that. And that's what I some like I said, depending on the price, that's why I feel like I I would feel comfortable taking the risk just because of the talent that he is. And let, let, let's face it, even like you look at look at what the Bulls outside of Zach, what the Bulls would have to give up for him. I mean, this guy's a defensive player of the year caliber defender. Like arguably we can probably defend what one to five yeah. in a sense. Um, he is a good passer, a lead passer. Uh, if he can, like as I said, if that mental hurdle he can get over. That's a game changer, in, in my opinion. That's 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 the the tricky part, and I think that change of scenery can come into play for that. Yeah, it I'm, could be interesting. Yeah, I'm. I, for me, I'm just not convinced that he's ever really gonna like get over that that hump. And I don't know. Like I I look in I look at the playoffs and I see someone like Giannis who has 
awful form and he still shoots each time like he Giannis is not afraid to go to the line airball two free throws and then come back on the other end get fouled again or just take a, a wide open three like that's that's fantastic I mean great no, yeah exactly yeah so, so, Giannis is fearless that's but yeah. that's also why he's a two-time MVP yeah yeah, yeah. you know that's exactly. also why he's you know a, you know this generational phenom or so phenom if you will but yeah. For sure, no. Like I said, it's it's just like a different. It, it's more so than it's, it's more so than do ability. It's that mental aspect. That's something he has to get over if he wants to really progress in this league. Yeah, and and that's an expensive gamble too. Like more no, so, one hundred forty-seven million. Oh my god! Like, nah, yeah, I need you to come and practice day one, and you better be <laughs> you better be shooting in these pickup games that we're doing. Like, I need you to show that. So it. I don't know. It's it's a really really expensive risk, but like I, I, I have something for you. This is which really puts this into context, and it's more of a question as well. I would rather have Cameron Payne than Ben Simmons on the Bulls specifically. What about you? You, you I, know, <laughs> I'll, I I'll, I'll let you go first because obviously I think you've had a couple of thoughts. So, yeah. so I. I remember a few years back when campaign was still on the bulls. And I think this was a game where he had like seven threes was against like the Hornets or Phoenix. I can't oh, remember. Yeah. 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 That one hot thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Stacy had like one of the best lines of the year. Like, yeah. I, like I can't remember what he said. Exactly. Yeah. He said something about, was like, if I didn't know campaign was in South, I would slap you uh, <laughs> or something like that. I can't remember. Yeah. Exactly what he said, yeah. But it was hilarious. So, I remember on that show that me and Celine were both saying, look, we're not endorsing campaign as uh, the future of his team or as a starter. But games like this show you the type of point guard that is necessary to put next to Zach Levine, a guy that can knock down that shot consistently. And when you give attention to Zach Levine and you can kick out to someone like campaign who in that game was dangerous, it just opens up the offense significantly. So I see what Mort is saying here in the sense that a guy who is simply just a threat to make a jump shot and also makes that jump shot and can also playmake a little bit too is more valuable than a guy who, even though he may be a significantly more talented player and a better passer, that guy simply kills a lot of value specifically in the postseason because he will not shoot the ball. Yeah, I, also, also yeah. Cameron Payne has a higher assist percentage than Lonzo Ball this year. Yeah, <laughs> no, Cam, it's funny. He's a completely different player too than what he was with the Bulls. Like, I think that it was a huge wake up call when he was after not after he got traded from the Bulls, but there was like what that two month period where he was out of the league, mm-hmm. and I think that was just a huge wake up call for him. And I think you you watch him now; his half court game is so much better. Yeah, everything is better. Everything he does is just a completely different Cameron Payne. And yeah, he's a really good player. He's definitely going to be an interesting target. And obviously, I think, does he a restricted free agent with the Suns or is he going he's, into like, what's his contract I, situation? I'm like? pretty sure that he is unrestricted because he, he, he uh, bounced around a lot. Yeah. Um, so, yep. so he, I'm pretty sure that he's unrestricted. Yeah, I, I can check Spotrack just to make sure, but he should be available. And if the Bulls could make that happen, 
I, I understand that there's a certain sense of irony. <laughs> no, for sure. Well, I, I think it also imagine? comes out with him wanting to come here again just because of his experience here. Well, but. it's a it's a new like it's new play, it's new people at the front of it. Like, right? I think honestly, he, and by the way, he will be an unrestricted free agent this summer. Okay. Um, I, I like it's AK and Mark now. I think it's different. And if those are the guys who show up at the door and John Paxson doesn't follow suit, I think that could help if they knock on his door and just go, you know what? We know you were there. It's uh, it, it didn't end as it should have, but you know what? It's different times. Ooh, yeah. Uh, let me, let me ask you right this here. Though. Well, I guess the other thing is that uh, does he like Billy Donovan too? Cause he did play with Billy for Billy Donovan um, with the OKC thunder. So that's the other thing, I guess. L- let me ask you this though. Like, how much stock do you put into I'm not saying Cam hasn't made improvements on his own, but sometimes I feel like being in the right place at the right time also helps a lot too. He's playing for a coach who you had a previous relationship with. He's playing on a team that he feels really comfortable with. I mean, Chris Paul is there. There's some really good young pieces there. He may just really like the organization. I don't know. Like, Sometimes I feel like just being in a certain place right. gives you certain ability. And then when you go somewhere else and you follow the money, it's not quite the same. And, and we've seen that before a bunch of times, even with really, really good players. Like even with someone like Ben Wallace leaving Detroit, like he just goes to Chicago. And granted, he was older, but just goes to Chicago. And he's just like, eh, I don't don't really care as much. It's just I don't know. How much stock do you put in that? Mm. Some, I mean, I definitely don't think that's irrelevant. Um, but but I also think that nowadays with guards who can handle the basketball and the power that they have in the NBA game, I think there is less of a risk with those type of guys to sort of flame out elsewhere. Uh, it, it really, I think the bigger question is, do you trust the sample size? That's mm-hmm. it. That's probably the biggest question for me. Do you trust that the 68 game sample size plus the playoffs, of course, for Cameron Payne with the Suns is evidence enough that he's turned the corner. The way that I look at it now is just, he's playing with a confidence level that he's never had before. If he brings that confidence to honestly, every other team in the NBA, I think he'll have a similar impact. So for me, that's the biggest thing. Is he going to just mimic that confidence? And will he be able to get, you know, possessions? Will he be able to get the right shots in the flow of the offense? In that case, I wouldn't be negative about it. I wouldn't be skeptical about it. But you're right. Like there is, there's also going to be a certain sense of loyalty for him, like knowing full well, okay, I was in Phoenix. Phoenix helped me turn everything around so i might take a pay cut to stay there there are so many aspects to this if he sticks around there i i wouldn't blame him i mm-hmm. I, I understand that that makes sense it's 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 good weather they're winning like they're going to be in the finals probably uh, and he's enjoying a tremendous success off the bench he's not a guy who has to carry like a ton of responsibility like i, I would totally see if he wants to stick around but i don't think in today's day and age that ball handling guards and guards who can shoot are in big risk of mm. completely flaming out if they go to new teams. I think that is more the case of wings and bigs. On on paper, just excluding the fact that it's Cameron Payne, but on paper, the a player that can do what he's been doing in Phoenix and is not going to cost a significant amount of money because he should probably cost a little bit more maybe over the, uh, the uh, non-taxpayers MLE. So maybe it's like, 9.5 10 11 million somewhere around that 
maybe a two-year deal. I, I'm not sure if he gets a four-year deal, but I, I feel like on paper, that is something that would be really valuable to a team like the Bulls who don't have to significantly overpay in any way to get that player. Right. I think he gets more than that, though. Oh, uh, I, th- I think there are people out there who will throw him offers of let's just say monetary value that most of us will find a little bit baffling because teams are desperate. You remember this 2021 class was supposed to be huge mm-hmm. and players decided to stick with their own team. So there are a lot of teams out there with cap space that are basically going, what the hell do we do with all these millions of dollars that we cleared up? And look, now Cameron Payne is is showing that he's a playoff performer. So teams are like, licking their licking their lips and going okay okay we may have found an option and then again like i said earlier point guards are not really that common anymore in terms of like having high caliber point guards that mm. that, that crop of players have really been watered down over recent years so here's a guy who may be able to fit that bill i wouldn't be surprised if three four maybe five teams uh, share an interest in him this summer and start a, an, an internal bidding war, in which case Bain can drive up the price. I All I'm saying is I wouldn't be shocked if he signed for something along the lines of $15 million per year. Mm. It shouldn't shock anyone. Mm. Here's another name I was thinking of that, depending on the direction this team goes into, uh, the Toronto Raptors, mm-hmm. uh, w- what do you think the availability of a guy like Pascal Siakam could be? Um, and do you think that the Bulls could have enough ammo? Because obviously you would throw Kobe and Pat on the table. Um, but I, I wonder what else it would take to get a guy like him because I like that. <laughs> obviously, that that trio is a really nice trio as well of him, Zach, and, and Vooch. But it was just yeah. something I was thinking about, depending on where Toronto is headed towards as far as are they, are they going to try to still compete and try to make the playoffs, or are they going to go full rebuild now because they do have that fourth pick, and maybe yeah. they can get more assets for uh, for a nice rebuild. Um, and obviously, with Masai, he 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 he's a magician in ways too. So um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it'll be interesting. That's just a curiosity. Where do you, where do you see that going with them and his availability? Uh, so that's and that's interesting. I think Toronto can go in in two different directions here, and they really have a lot of ground for going both ways. So obviously, as you said, they have the fourth pick. They could find a trade for a more established guy, and then kind of run out Fred VanVleet, Pascal Siakam, maybe re-sign Kyle Lowry, uh, and then try to compete. But they could also go in the completely different like. Uh, direction and say you know what let's take that package from from the golden state warriors of 7 14 and james wiseman and andrew wiggins uh for 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 siakam and let's start the rebuild then we can flip fred van vliet to the knicks for both their picks this year and like multiple picks down the line because like they're loaded with cap space they can absorb the entirety of fred van vliet's contract no problem and and then they can pay handsomely through draft picks in which case the Raptors would be set up for the future. They would have the number four overall pick, which could be Jalen Green or Jalen Suggs. Let's just say it's Jalen Suggs, so they have a point guard. Uh, and then they'll have OG and Anobi, who, Anobi, who's 23, Gary Trent Jr., who's 22. They'll have so many of those guys who are young. They'll have draft picks incoming. So they can go in different directions. It's really all about which direction they choose to go in. And I don't think really the Bulls are a candidate for Siakam simply because of that package that could be offered by Golden State. 
Golden State would want some something like him going into next year, I think. A guy who can put 20-plus points on the board, uh, who can rebound, who can playmake, who can defend at a high level. I wouldn't be shocked whatsoever if they went after him and then sort of just started Draymond at center instead. And then Draymond, Siakam, uh, probably a re-signed Kelly Oubre, Clay Thompson, and Steph at a, uh, as the starting unit. I mean, good Lord, that would be filthy, by the way. Mm. But I think that that so that team could definitely go for Siakam to a much higher extent than the Bulls could. So let me throw out another Toronto name for you, Kyle Lowry. He is going to be unrestricted. Yes, I feel like the only way the Bulls could get him is a sign and trade somehow. But I feel like he right. would probably want to go to a contender. He's kind of getting up there in age, but he's someone that could probably be had with maybe a two, three year deal. I don't know if you can structure that third year to be a non-guaranteed or some type of team option i'm not sure but if kyle lowry was a realistic option for the bulls Mm -hmm. and you could maybe get him with a sign and trade of lowry marketing involved i'm not sure maybe a three-team deal but would you go out like would kyle lowry be a really good fit for this team kyle lowry would be an amazing fit it's just a matter of the money it's a matter of opportunity it's also a matter of like yeah, age. He's he's thirty five, so mm. it's he doesn't fit Sack's timeline. He's more inclined to fit Bush's timeline. You don't really know if he's going to be as effective a year from now or two years from now, depending on the contract value. I would have him run out in terms of contract in twenty twenty three the same as Vooch, because that's the year Nikola uh, Nikola Jokic is available. Mm. I would want to see the Bulls really go for Jokic. There's an there's an obvious relationship between him and AK for obvious reasons. And if you have Sack locked up at that time, then you can sort of structure things. So, yeah, for like a two-year stopgap, that would be fine. The question is, can you make a deal work? What would the Raptors want? What, what does Kyle Lowry want? Hmm. Uh, I don't personally believe that he wants Chicago. I think he wants to go to Miami. I think he wants to go to the Lakers. He wants to go somewhere else where he becomes like the third or fourth offensive option. And rides into a championship. I think that's what he wants. Again, he, he's won one. He's probably uh, itching at the chance to get back into the swing of things. And that to me says, you know, probably the Lakers or maybe, hell, maybe even the, the Philadelphia 76ers, a homecoming. Mm-hmm. There are definitely more superior options for him to go to. And I don't think he cares as much about the monetary value anymore. I think he still wants his 20 plus million for sure. But I think if he's... If he has to sacrifice maybe a couple million to go to a place that he wants to go, I don't think that is going to be a tough situation for him. I think he's going to do just that. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting and, and kind of sticking to the, the free agency conversation here. I, I I would love to hear your thoughts on how you think the Bulls should approach this offseason. Should there be obviously people? Everyone has the ideas of you know they should operate as over cap team. Uh, they should try to clear cap space. Um, do you think that they should focus on definitely maximizing the on-court product for next offseason? Or do you like a stuff like people have mentioned, like the 2022 plan, um, yeah. where you're where you're setting yourself up for next offseason because you know the names are there at in that in that offseason where you can try to target. Right. So so there there are definitely some different scenarios here in play, right? Because one thing is you also have to factor in the whole sack thing. 
Like exactly. you want Sack to stay. Right now, Sack is your best player. You want him to stick around. That means for him to sign a new contract either next offseason or it means going under the cap this year to renegotiate and extend him to a max contract this year. Uh, personally, I'm, I'm, I think if the latter pre- presents itself, I think that the Bulls should make that a, a, a huge priority because locking SAG up is crucial. But from there, it's just what do you want to achieve? I think that is the question you need to ask yourself if you're the Bulls. Do we want to go into next year uh, and make the playoffs? Or do we want to pivot into a long-term project so we're just attractive in 2023? I And maybe, hell, maybe those two goals uh, are the same. Maybe that's actually in part. Maybe they go, you know, we know that there are players maybe in 2022 or 2023 that could be interesting for us who might also have interest in us, but we have to make it appealing for them. So we can't just sit on our laurels. We can't have another year where we don't make the playoffs. So I think there is a sense of urgency there. The question to me is how do you how do you act on that? Because if you panic and you overpay, like let's say they send out Patrick Williams, Kobe White, Troy Brown, uh, the rights to Marco Simonovic, the 2026 first rounder, and the 38th pick of this year's draft, basically your future, your entire future. <laughs> For like one guy, that guy would have to be really good. That like that guy would have to make you an automatic playoff team by next year, and hopefully, a second round team at the very least. Is that guy out there? I don't know. I have no idea. That is what the Bulls will need to figure out. I think there are certain options, but you, you, it, it's the Bulls have put themselves in a tough situation. I think that's fair to say. Like I think they tried to accelerate the rebuild maybe a little bit too soon, just a little bit too soon. Um, and that's not me saying that I don't support the Vooch deal. I think that was an overall good deal. I think Vooch is a hell of a player, but they they accelerated their timeline at a point where they weren't really flush with assets. And when you aren't flush with assets, you can't really afford to go out there and pay everything for one guy because then you lock yourself up. Hmm. Uh, so, so it's a really difficult question. It really depends on what kind of options they do have. I think if someone like Malcolm Brockton was available and he could be had and the deal was reasonable where they didn't have to overpay him, right now I think they would have to overpay because I don't see a scenario wherein the Pacers would give him up. I think that could be interesting. I think that sort of trio would get the Bulls to the second round and that could make them relevant for other free agents in 2022 you could re-sign Sack to a max. You would have Vooch on a deal that is less than what he is worth. You would have Brockton on a contract that is less than what he's worth. So maybe you find in a fourth guy in 2022 or maybe 2023. But in the meantime, you would have nothing behind you. You would be empty. You would have very, very little flexibility. You would have no rookies or, or young guys waiting in the wings. And of course, there would always be the risk of Patrick Williams blowing up elsewhere, which you would just go, oh, mm. <laughs> that. that's not right. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess for me, so I, I look at it this way. Um, obviously, there's people smarter than me like Stefan No and Doug Tonus who are very pro-advocates of the 2022 plan. Um, the only reason, I, so there's a couple of reasons I'm not an advocate of that, and I, I kind of want to shy away from it is because, A, so you would be essentially punting another season. Um, saying okay, well, next season doesn't matter. We're probably not going to make try to make the playoffs um, because you're not likely to bring 
not only not improve the roster, but you're probably losing certain good rotation players that that are hitting free agency. Not and that's not counting lottery market. Um, so that's a you're punting, and that and then that's well, how does that make Zach feel? It's okay. Another season where we're just like, fuck it. We're not trying to win next season. Right. Um, even, even if you're going into next off season with this, all this cap space, why is Zach saying, well, why am I trying to, you know, recruit somebody to come here when I can just go to another team where a team that has cap space, that's a playoff team that might have another star or two. Well, yeah, why don't I go there instead of me trying to uh, bust my ass to get, teams players to come here um and like i said yeah it just to me it's it comes to a point it's like look we need to start improving the encore product it, it just we can't keep doing this every year right. uh where we're going in, where we're like we essentially punted the last off season because we were trying to evaluate players supposedly and i and i i definitely understood that argument where yeah we need to see what we have because the Jim Boylan era was such a hot mess mm. that you probably didn't get a good understanding, a feel of who you have on this roster and what you can really go progress with moving forward. But to do that again, it just, it's a hard sell for me. And that's something I just don't, I, I would not be happy with if they say, okay, we're going to go for the 2022 plan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so I have a question about the 2022 plan. Why do people think that's good? Like, and you yeah, and sorry to cut you off. And that's another oh, thing I'll say this is how how sure are we that these guys will actually still be on the market? Because we're making assumptions that Kawhi is going to opt out. Oh, he probably will opt out, but why is he going to leave? And then you're looking at the trio in, in, in Brooklyn. That's another trio that's more than likely <laughs> people are thinking, oh, they, well, they're going to be maybe available. But right. I see them as staying together. Like why will they? Why would they want to go split up when? Especially because I feel like if they're healthy next year, they're probably going to be a team that wins it all. Um, health is going to be the big, big factor for them if they can all be uh, able to be on the court together. But right. that slowly started dwindling down the free agent um, aspect, and and then and to to top it all off. It's that one percent, less than one percent, minuscule chance that one of these guys actually says, "Yeah, I want to go to Chicago." Mm-hmm. So you're basically banking. You're like I said, you're punting the season. Odds of pissing Zach off more, where he end up saying, "You know, I don't want to be here anymore." All that to this small, absurd chance that you may get somebody and even going in that that free agent class will actually look as good as it's seemingly to look right now. Yeah. So yeah, right. Exactly. So that's, that's my whole thing is that that's why I'm just really against that idea. I think you're right. Because, yeah. I don't know. More. No, I was just about to say most of that, the guys like the, the, the best players in that, that next year's free agency are also going to be over the age of 33. Yeah. Like I understand the Vooch is getting older and all that, but like I, you want someone closer to Sack's timeline, he's still the best player on your team. Yeah. And I, I think Celine made a good point, and, and both of you made a good point, that the 2022 plan could quickly become the 2023 plan. So it's <laughs> just it's just not – I don't know. So I, I feel like you can't really punt. I feel like right now you have to do the best you can to 
compete now while still giving yourself the flexibility to have one of those years in mind where you can go to the table with cap space. So you 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 still have to compete now. Like there's no way right. you can't put out a good on court product because I feel like not just Zach Levine, but like I, I feel like a lot of fans are just frustrated. They want to see really good basketball. They want to see a good team. I'm not I'm not of the mindset that hey we have to have this title team in mind. I just want to see a, a, a good team that can get better. And yeah. you, so you gotta you gotta crawl before you can walk it. So, so to speak. So, yeah. I, I think that having a 2023 plan is so much better than having a 2022 plan. There are just better talents available, first and foremost. And, like, I, I'm not going to sit here and give Bulls fans some, some sort of false hope or anything, but I do think it would be interesting to go act aggressively after Jokic in 2023. Mm. I mean, there are certainly a lot of arguments working in the favor of the Bulls at least getting a meeting with him. The, the the AK presence is one. Also, we know that Chicago has a, 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 a lot of Serbians, yeah. exactly. Um, and, and and you know, we don't really know where the Denver Nuggets are going to go from here. Right? We don't know how Jamal Murray is going to look after he comes back from his ACL tear, which is really unfortunate. Just a side note. I mean that that was brutal. Just mm. I really hope Jamal comes back fully healthy. That was just he was going through one of the best seasons of his career, the, the best season of his career, he was finally figuring it out. And then he suffered the ACL tear. That is just brutal. Um, but we just don't know where Denver is at that point. And if you have SAC locked up and if you have stayed competitive in two years prior to the 2023 NBA free agency summer, I mean, Jokic should give them a look. And if you suddenly replace Booch with Jokic and you're running like a two-star lineup of Sack and, and Joker, and you can round out the roster with those guys. I mean, come on, that would be ridiculous. So I think there should be a 2023 plan in place. And maybe it's two plans. Maybe there is this plan that's called 2021, but it's a two-year plan. Like you, you stay competitive for two years. And then when 2023 yes. rolls around, that's when you pivot into like a, a, a larger scheme plan. 2022, forget about it. Like I just went through the list. There isn't anyone there that either is realistic or worth it. Like, sure, you could max out a couple guys, but it's like, do you really want to max out Julius Randle? I mean, yeah. I, 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 he, he had a good season. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, he completely failed in the playoffs. Completely. Mm-hmm. It just showed that his his playing style isn't necessarily uh, as productive as it could be. I mean, 2023 is the year, if anything. And I and I get Bulls fans would be like, oh, we have to wait another year. Is <laughs> This is the Garpax thing over again where we had the 2026. That got moved to 2010. That got moved to 2013. And I get it. But, I, you know, Chicago, let's just face fact. It hasn't been a place that has attractive – you know, tier one superstars. Like it's attracted certain guys like Pau Gasol signed, Ben Wallace signed back in 2006 and all those things. But like it hasn't attracted a LeBron James. It hasn't attracted like a James Harden. It hasn't attracted a Kevin Durant. I think the Bulls need to just have a couple of years under their belts where they're productive, where they're winning. And then in 2023, that's when they say, you know what? We have Zach Levine, who presumably at that time should be an all NBA player. It's time. Let's go big name hunting. 
Yeah, and I'll also say too, it's it's a it's not necessarily cap space. I'll say like if they have movable contracts. So let's say this offseason they are able to uh, improve the roster and 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 the contracts they end up signing aren't really bad. Like I said, let's let's say they get Lonzo Ball, and it's in that eighteen to twenty million range. I think that's still a movable contract down the line. Uh, twenty five that will be hard to move, but eighteen to twenty. You know, he is a player that's consistently shown improvement, only 23 years old. You know, once you get to 2023 and and becomes a point like, okay, now we need to find a way to move um, Lonzo Ball because we definitely are going to be able to land Jokic. Jokic. So let's, we have to find a way to, you know, scrap around uh, to clear up some scat space here. So I, I think that's what it comes down to. Uh, is having like you can improve the team. You don't necessarily need to go into every offseason with uh, even a big free agencies. Um, obviously, it helps to have the cap space, but it's it's. I think it's more so about having a, a team that's attractive to you as a as a big name free agent. Like, oh, this organization is serious about winning, and if I go there with with Zach there and whoever else that, you know, has all of a sudden broken out, like let's say Pat has taken this big leap. Um, oh yeah, this looks good to me. Now we just have to fi- figure out the monetary aspect, which in today's league, we saw Miami being able to figure out how to get Jimmy Butler without cap space. Mm-hmm. They found a way to get it done. So I think that's probably more of a better plan uh, than, than trying to just, not improve the team at this point because how where the Bulls have been in the last so many years. It's like I can understand if the Bulls were consistently good um and 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 like and even that in a mid 40s range win team. And then you're saying, okay, well let's set up where we're not gonna really add salary for next season and try to go into 2022, see what we can do. I can understand that. But yeah, I just for me I need for them to to add talent. Um, not necessarily big names, but just depth. So you can have a team that can maybe get into like 41 win range, 42 win range and, and get into the playoffs. Right. Bulls fans are not going to want to hear this, but I all honestly think the most important thing over the next two years, outside of course of the relationship between SAC and Vooch and their production. And of course, retaining SAC is the development of Patrick Williams. Like he has to become a near all-star or all-star caliber player in order to raise the ceiling within the first two years, but also to make the Bulls interesting in free agency moving forward. I mean, he is such a big part of that future because of his uh, size, positional versatility, defensive upside, shot-making upside. I mean, if you go into 2023 with Sack on a max contract and you are loaded with cap space outside of that, and you have a Patrick Williams who now has played three years in the NBA, so he's still on his rookie contract. He might be an all-star, a near all-star type, and you have been in the playoffs for two straight years at the very least. Well, it would have to be the only two years because they didn't make it this year. That's when you can go like big name hunting and say, you know what? We have pieces right here. We have demonstrated that we can win over the past two years. We have Zach. We have Pat. Maybe Kobe also gets significantly better over that period of time, although he will have to be up for contract at that same summer. So that's a little bit icky, but you can make that work. And then you can go in, go for 
a Jokic or someone else who is who is available that year. I think that's the play. But right now, I think you need to look at Pat Williams as probably the most crucial element to Chicago's long-term future, Like, which sounds ridiculous, but that's where we are. I mean, it's fair. But do you think he gets there? I mean, I, I think there's... I think there's varying views on his potential. Of course, we can throw around Kawhi Leonard just for jokes because you oh, know, yeah. baby, baby Kawhi. I feel like <laughs> I feel like Kawhi now is like the. Uh, I remember when there was a time when Scottie Pippen was the mold for every really good two way yeah. player with upside, and I feel like that's what <laughs> Kawhi Leonard has become now. So, and of course, you know, Patrick Williams is really quiet and he's serious too. So there's that comparison. But do you think that he has? Do you think that he has that in him? Like, is he a dog? Yeah, I I bring up so, and again, I remember when uh Big Dave killed me for uh bringing this up, but Luol Deng, right? Luol Deng at one point we thought he could be really really good, and he was a really good player. He had that Miami series. We thought like that was the coming out party. And we thought Lou Aldang's going to be this elite player. Oh, Kobe Bryant wants to play with him. Like, Kobe doesn't want to go to Chicago unless Dang is there and, you know, all that stuff. But Dang just ended up just kind of being a good, you know, had a few all-star appearances. Good, but not great player. And I feel like if Patrick Williams does that, there are some Bulls fans who will be disappointed. So, do you think he has it in him to be a really, really good player or just merely kind of like a good player, like a Luol Deng, who makes an all-star team here and there, but is not he's not that guy, if you get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, can we just scale back and appreciate that Luol Deng was really good? I yeah. mean, that Patrick Williams becoming Luol Deng would be a win. Like, regardless. Yeah. And that isn't about talking about his upside or anything. Like, Luol Deng, the, the, the reason that his, his uh, let's say, his career was a little bit tainted, I think, was because of his lack of efficiency. You expected more. He had that, uh, what was that? Was that in the uh 06 07 yes, I'm gonna look yes, it up. I 06, think it was 06 yeah, yeah. Where, when he shot like 52% from the field or well actually I think I remember the exact field goal percentage it was 51.7 correct yes someone to look it up I'm, I'm gonna okay, trust like, I'm gonna trust you on that one. <laughs> okay but he was like doing that it was the mid-range thing and then tips came in he started shooting more threes but then his efficiency just went in the toilet because he wasn't really that player he wasn't a guy who could really uh sustainably hit a, a high three-point percentage outside all times by by upping his volume. I think Patrick Williams, if he could be Luol Dang, but with a little bit more range and thus have a little bit more efficiency, the Bulls would, like, that would be a slam dunk. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if he gets there, but even if he just gets 80% of the way there, he that, that fits the mold of what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. That makes the Bulls attractive because then you have a guy who's going to be, what, 20, 21? Yeah, who's like on, on like on an all star bubble? That's great. Like that's objectively great. And if he has a Luol Deng career, I mean, that that would be fantastic. I what I will say in terms of just raw upside, I think he's got upside to be better than Deng if he hits it. Like one thing is the mentality; he needs to be more aggressive. But you know what? I'm I think that criticism was that was too harsh. He came into a team with, and and there was really not a whole lot of preparation because of the COVID situation. He just kind of went immediately 
from college to the NBA. And that is, that is a transition that, that is really difficult. No summer league whatsoever. He, he plays alongside one of the best shot makers in the entire mm-hmm. NBA in Zach Levine. Like he's probably, because he was 19 years old, overthinking it going, oh yeah, I'm just a 19 year old rookie here, Zach, take the ball. Next year, I think would be looking a lot different. He has a pull-up game that Dang really never had. And that could be that what that really changes things. If he leans into the pull-up game, if he becomes a more dangerous three-point shooter, then offensively speaking, he should be better than Lou all Dang. Yeah. Defensively, I think Lou will always be more disciplined because defense under Lou compared to how the league is playing defense now, especially with wings, he was just he was so underappreciated, man. I mean, this was a guy who could guard three positions. He could he could go on the same position of guarding a point guard and switch over to a center as well. Like we saw him do that, Lou, on several occasions. Is Pat that same versatile defender? I I don't know. Maybe not. So then he has to make up for it in offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what that that remains to be seen. But I'm definitely not out on the Patrick William experience whatsoever. And I think people who are quote unquote disappointed are being way unfair to a 19 year old who didn't get to play summer league. Mm-hmm. I mean, for him to also say, by the way, after having played 71 games in the NBA, starting by the way, playing 28 minutes a game, saying I want to play summer league, that shows a dedication that I was very surprised to see that to me proves the work ethic is there. The willingness to get better is there. I have a lot of hope for Patrick Williams. And I also think that he's, if he's being made available in trades by the bulls, that they are expecting a haul. I I don't think they should sell him off cheaply by any stretch of the imagination. That would be Mm. foolish. I I think it's, I think it's the mindset too, because I think my thing with Patrick Williams is, again, he's 19 years old, and for all the reasons you mentioned with that quick transition, no summer league, you know, condensed offseason, you know, et cetera, but it, it really is that mindset because it, it seemed like there were a few stretches where he was starting to get more aggressive offensively and he was starting to be involved offensively, but then he would kind of, like, scale back and then have those games where he took three or four shots in, like, 27 minutes, right, right. 28 minutes, so... I definitely think that the mindset is going to improve next year. And I think summer league will help because he's going to be the guy on that team because the Bulls don't have a first round pick. So it's just going to be Patrick Williams and a bunch of random guys and maybe whoever the Bulls pick in the second round. So that's going to be his chance to be like, okay, let me experiment. Let me try and take over. Like I got to, you know, take 15 shots. Like I got to face the uh, best defender on this team. Like that's going to be really good for him. Yeah, but but also, and this needs repeating. Remember, he didn't play with a proper point guard all year long. Yeah, neither did Sack for that. I mean, for that matter, those guys. What they did this year, I was like, I don't think the national media gives Sack Levine enough credit for what he did without a point guard. Mm. Like, who was that? The, the Kobe White. I, I appreciate his scoring ability. Not a point guard. Thomas Sadoransky is a point guard, but he's not exactly someone who breaks down the defense and makes all these advanced reads, right? He's a very basic point guard, which is fine. He's, in my opinion, a backup. Hmm. So the Bulls also need to figure out how can we best put Pat in a situation where he optimizes his own skill set. And you know what? That's not having him to create off of himself. That's not having Zach Levine creating for him. That's mm-hmm. not necessarily having to go through Nikola Vucevic and, and basically have Pat cut all the time. No, you need guards or playmaking wings or whatever 
who can just flat out run a pick and roll, set up offenses, like hit guys in the corner with bullet point passes. So they need that guy. Um, and it's funny, like in this conversation, I, I've said repeatedly, I don't think the Bulls would go back into the draft. I think they would look forward uh, to the future. But you know what? The more that I'm thinking of it, the more I would actually be considering flipping Kobe for Sharif Cooper. Because if there's one thing Sharif Cooper can do, it's drop dimes. And mm-hmm. he's like a very advanced passer. Maybe that's actually a step back in the grand scheme of things. But if it helps accelerate the development of Pat Williams, if it helps accelerate uh, maybe even the development of Zach Levine, then maybe that's that step back overall is worth it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know what about you guys, but I think maybe that's the play. It, yeah. It kind of, uh, okay. I'll go ahead. Man. <laughs> I, I was going to say it kind of reminds me of what uh, Utah did when uh, they traded, like, I think what they trade, like Trey Lyles for Donovan Mitchell. I mean, trading like guys right. on rookie deals to, get draft picks and I think they also traded something for Rudy Gobert when they moved up like I I forget what they moved up for uh Gobert but it's it's interesting because it's a moving rookie for rookie it doesn't clearly make you better but it's a long-term but cheap gamble and hopefully if it works out then you increase your ceiling right I, I, and you can yeah. avoid yeah correct I'll say this too I'm really intrigued by the potential of Zach, uh, sorry, not Zach, Pat can continue to develop as a ball handler. Um, my, my dream scenario for his development would be kind of that modern, uh, like, much to say maybe like that Draymond Green archetype, not to say that he'll be as good of a, a defender as Draymond, where he's a one to five defensive player of the year, like all time great defender in that sense. But just that archetype being a guy that gives you maybe 15 points, uh, really good defense gets on the boards and can be that guy that you give the ball to and he can kind of start and spearhead the offense in that regard as an initiator. That's what that would be like really a, a dream come true scenario for me, because obviously you talk about like the Kawhi Leonard, that's super wishful thinking. Um, if he became that, I mean, don't get me wrong. I I wouldn't be <laughs> mad if he turned into Kawhi, but like, I'm just, what I'm the not. Hell? We had expectations of you becoming Lou all day. You turned into Kawhi Leonard. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I'm thinking more. So like a guy that can be that just, or like, an, you remember, I think another guy that would be just so phenomenal in today's league is Andre uh, Kirilenko. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, oh my God, that he would be fantastic. Like if, if Pat turned into AK-47, mm. get Every day of the week, give that to me. Yeah, that would be that would be such a great scenario if that came, that came to fruition. Yeah, he was he was really good. He was really really good in his prime. He was super versatile. Yeah, exactly. Least. And and you put him in today's league, you would just be like, this guy would be perfect. Yeah, mm. in today's league, yeah. and that's what I want to see Pat become. This guy that's just uh, the 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 definition of versatility, the mm. the definition of modern NBA basketball. Yeah, when when Luol Deng was active. You know, he was what I would call a two-dribble player. <clears throat> yeah. Like he would get the ball, he would dribble twice, and then it would either be a pull-up, it would be a drive, or it'd be a pass. Like, if he started dribbling more than twice, he usually would end up in a situation where someone would have to bail him out or he would have to get out of that dribble. I think Pat is already there with the two-dribble thing. Like, he can handle two triples. It would be interesting to see if... There is like this experiment of basically saying, can we add two dribbles to him every single summer? Like where can he be under control 
for two more triples every single summer to the point where in a couple of years down the line, he can actually handle bringing the ball up, initiate the play, become that secondary or tertiary playmaker, ball handler. That would be super interesting. Is he there? Like, does he have that capability? No idea. Like some guys just have the ability to handle the ball on a purely instinctual level. I don't know if Pat has that. I think that's necessary. So I guess we'll see. But I completely agree with you, Salim, that this, like if he turned into a guy who could dribble consequently, I mean, that opens up everything. Mm. Let me... Let me ask you this, because we talked about players who haven't had point guards, and we'll, we'll close out on this. Uh, we, we've talked about players who have been impacted by the not having a point guard. We talked about the Bulls having limited assets to work with. I, and I also feel obliged to ask you about this, because we always have discussed him when you've been on, but Lowry Markkinen. So <laughs> he, he, yeah. has, uh, he fell out the – well, didn't fall out the rotation, but – he uh, became a bench player towards the end of his Bulls run. A lot of expectations earlier in his Bulls career. And now the, the wide expectation is that he will be moving on to somewhere else. But of course, yeah. the Bulls will probably tender him his qualifying offer and they'll probably look to move him in some si- sort of sign and trade, perhaps. So I, I guess what I'm going to ask you is, what do you think his value is going to be? And do you think that he could play a significant role in helping the Bulls get better this offseason? Or do you think that perhaps we're going to be overestimating what he actually does bring in? It depends entirely on two things, role and salary compensation. So, and I realized before I start the sentence, let me just clarify that I know that he'll get more money than what I'm about to say. Mm-hmm. I also realize fully that the market determines worth. But considering that he's a spot-up shooter who doesn't rebound, who doesn't defend, who doesn't block shots or, or like play make or can initiate his own offense, he is more or less purely a guy who's reliant upon others to set him up. And that is a, as a shooter. His contractual value is probably along the lines of seven and a half to eight million per year. Because he's just not, when he's on the court and he's not hitting threes, He's worthless. Like, there's no point in playing him. And that means that we're talking about a guy who should play no more than 20 minutes per game coming in as a big, whatever it's the four or the five, it doesn't really matter, and just shoot. And that's it. And if you find out very early on in the game, okay, he's off, then you sit his ass and you don't you don't play him for the rest of the night. Hmm. That is not worth a lot of money to me. So if like the the if the walking away price, or sorry, not the walking away price, but if the if the salary demand is like 15, 16 million per year and the polls pay it, like that's just that's just wasted money. That is a situation where you go in and you say, that's just not gonna work out. And then it's also gonna make him very difficult to trade because then he's gonna be a bad contract. And that's really the one thing if I'm the bulls that I'd be scared of. If you overpay Laurie Markinen on his second contract and you sign him to like four years and he does not perform up to that number, then it's going to cost assets to get out of him. Then he's not only going to clock the salary cap when you need it, but you're also going to have a net negative on your roster. And if we've learned anything of team building over the past decade, it's 
you need players who outperform their contracts. Like, like mm-hmm. take superstars players like LeBron James, for example, who's getting paid what 40, like maybe mid 30s, 40 mm-hmm. million, who probably should be earning 60 or mm-hmm. 70. Those guys, every single one needs to outperform their contracts. Lori Markinen, in my opinion, I don't see a scenario wherein he will ever do that unless he is paid around $7 million per year. And is he going to accept that? I don't think so. Mm. So I, I guess we'll see what happens. But I am not optimistic about his return. I'm not optimistic about his overall future in the NBA, just in terms of being a full-time starter. I think power forwards who needs to be set up who can't create their own shots, who can't defend, are dinosaurs. I think people said that the, the center had died. I think it's power forwards. Power mm. forwards are dead. So to me, I would much rather see Pat Williams move up in that role and then let someone like Troy Brown Jr. take over the three, for example. I don't see the value in Laurie Markinen unless he comes cheaply and unless he realizes and accepts I'm a 20-minute player who any given night can be sat down after seven minutes if I don't hit shots. So yeah, do, do you think his sign and trade value also not very good? If a team so if a team offered if, if a team is willing to give Lowry 15 or 16 million, do you think that team yeah. would be able to give the Bulls a decent point guard if they have one? I don't know, or is there a draft pick? I don't know. Well, I mean, if you value Laurie at that amount, right? If you say that he's worth 15 to 16 million and you're willing to make that investment in him as a, as a, a team outside, I have to assume you would definitely be giving up something. I, and remember, the team would have to be over the cap. Hmm. Otherwise, they can just sign him, sign him out right. Like it would have to be a team over the cap where the Bulls go, you know what? Let's take something in return. Uh, what that team is, that's of course impossible to answer. But if I'm the Bulls, I would also ask for a second, regardless, like, mm-hmm. just to agree to make that happen. Because otherwise, you, you know, th- that team can't get Laurie Marketing. So if they're interested in, in getting him, the Bulls will say, you know what, we can help you get him by do- working out a sign train, but we want compensation. We'll take back one of those contracts you have, point guard or not, but we'll also want a second, maybe even two seconds, if you're that desperate for him that you're willing to mm-hmm. pay him 15, 16 million. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, I mean, it'd be nice if we can get a sign trade for him, but I, I just fully expect him to walk in free agency, yeah. and I'm, I'm fine with that. I mean, it's, <laughs> it is what it is. Like, it's obviously, we wish you could have turned him into something much better, but it just hasn't worked out here. Not to say, Larry won't have a long career. Um, I think in the right situation, right system, surrounded by the right players, he could be a nice scoring like a third or fourth guy as a scoring option. But yeah, like you said, he's, he's the type of big in this league that is not really a commodity. It's more of a, of a, a, a how, how do you say this? A, a, like a cherry on top, not really yeah. something mm-hmm. you need. Yeah. He's a, he's a luxury player. I will say, yeah. of course, if he was able to, you know, that very infamous month of, of February back in his second season where he averaged 26 and 12, mm-hmm. If that became the norm, obviously, like you <laughs> resign him and you give him a starting spot, you do all these things. But he, like, he's got that that problem of not really understanding how to always score. Teams started figuring out, okay, you know, you you can't really uh, create your own shot consistently. You're not going to pass the ball, so we can play you for the drive or we can play you for the shot every single time. 
And he's just had a hell of a problem figuring that out. It's been going on two years now. And I don't think that he is good enough, frankly, to suddenly realize, oh, I need to do this, this, and that. I don't think he's got the passing chops. I don't think he's got the ball handling chops. And I think he's so old now that he's not going to get it. So I agree. I think he's going to walk. And I think it is one of the things that we can point back to and say that was probably a misjudge by AK and Mark, just not to send him off at the trade deadline for anything, like even if mm-hmm. it had been a second rounder. The fact that they're probably going to lose him for nothing is unfortunate. They should have traded him for whatever teams were willing to offer. Yeah, I really don't think any a team offered anything, to be honest with you. I, I don't think, because everything you read, they were trying so hard to move him. Mm. They were trying so hard. They even tried to throw him into that uh, trade for the Wizards to expand it to see if they could get some kind of asset back then to throw to the Pelicans right. uh, for Lonzo. But they just couldn't get any team to bite because every team is like, look, why give up an asset for this guy when we can very – where there's a pretty much a 100% chance we could sign him in free agency because the right. Bulls don't want him. I know – AK has said stuff openly, but I think that's just because he's not trying not to, you know, completely take away his entire leverage. But everything AK has done outside of what he said indicates that Larry isn't a long-term part of this Bulls team. So, yeah. So it is what it is. It's unfortunate that, you know, we couldn't get more out of him. But um, I, I think, you know, for both parties, it's, it's probably for the best that Larry moves on. Yeah. Absolutely. Now you can actually play modern basketball. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think Patrick Williams at the four is definitely going to be a big upgrade, not only athletically, but just the versatility. And we saw it this season uh, when Lowry missed game. So it, it I, I can't remember what that record was, but it definitely looked like the team uh, gelled a little bit better and just had more options to play against different teams when uh, Lowry was not at the four. So We'll see. Yeah, I mean, Laurie, Laurie played 51 games. The Bulls won 20 and lost 31 with him in it. I yeah. don't think that's a coincidence. Yeah. Like they were worse with him. And it's, you know, it's, it's a shame because everything I hear when I speak to people around the league about Laurie from a personality perspective, he says he's a great guy. So I honestly, every single time I want this podcast to talk about Laurie and I'm, I'm very critical of his game. I, there's like, I, I, I feel bad inside. Like there's this little thing going on inside my chest. that just like more, look, he's a good guy. That's not fair. Um, because by all intents and purposes, he's a great human being. He's just not built for today's NBA. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's a shame, man. <laughs> it's a shame. We'll see what happens with Larry Market. And I'm hoping wherever he lands that he can improve. But, yeah, it's really clear that the writing is on the wall in Chicago right now. Yeah. Mort, thank you so much, man, for joining us. We covered a lot about the offseason. I'm not sure if I feel better or worse about it, but <laughs> I- I'm thankful that I'm not the Bulls GM because it-, it just seems like there is a lot going on and – at the end of the day, you still have to figure out some way to improve this team. So it's it's going to tell us a lot about AK and Eversley, uh, even more than what they did at the trade deadline. That's for sure. But uh, more, can you tell our uh, tell our listeners where they can find you at and what you're working on right now, man? And again, thank you so much for joining us. 
Oh, thank you guys for having me. You can find me on Twitter at MSJ uh, NBA. And I'm working uh, at Forbes as well, writing articles for them. And you can find me at the NBA pod where I run a uh, podcast with my co-host, Brian Saporic. We release episodes roughly twice a week. And I'm also doing a YouTube channel called The NBA Show. And that you'll find pieces from Brian and I there. We're doing some YouTube exclusives uh, as well on there. So I, I'm, I'm pretty much everywhere. Just find my Twitter handle and uh, you can you can find all my work from there. The verified Twitter handle. Verified. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It hits differently, man, when you're verified. It just it hits real differently. <laughs> oh, there's definitely a Twitter secret. So there, there, are, there are certain things open up suddenly when you're verified. That I like my, my app looks different. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to have that upgraded. <laughs> uh, Salim, you got any final thoughts before we wrap up, man? Yeah, you know, it's, see, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, with obviously with the offseason um and how creative the front office can get but yeah that's that's really all i'm i'm thinking about at that at, in regards to that and yeah i was great having Mord on. um it's cool for us like you know we, we he follows us so like we have a ver- verified uh yeah. highly <laughs> highly in- influential ver- verified account following us so that feels that feels nice and you know kind of uh seeing that on on, on twitter's goal he follows me, you know, more Jensen <laughs> follows me. So, yeah. That's clout, man. That's clout. <laughs> oh, boy. Thank you so much, guys, for, for having me on once again. I always enjoy doing this podcast. Let's definitely uh, link up after free agency, I'm thinking, just to do yeah. like, a yes, tour of what yes. the Bulls did. Absolutely. No, definitely. That's definitely something that we we need to do and hopefully it would be a it'll be a positive uh conversation and we're not all bummed out about oh my God. whatever Let's happens hope so. <laughs> oh my god hoping for the best hoping for the best but that concludes this week's bulls gold as always you can catch past shows on spotify on apple wherever you get your podcasts and of course you can catch us here every tuesday 9 8 central here on nothing but net radio part of dash radio and you can also catch past shows on 1252 Sports Entertainment as well. So for Salim Sudawala, I'm Edward Schuler. This has been Bulls Gold, and we will catch you next time, Bulls fans.